October of 1994, three student filmmakers disappeared in the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland, while shooting a documentary. A year later, their footage was found. Twenty years later, we're recording an episode of Saturday the 14th on, in case you can't tell, The, the Blair, Blair Witch Project. Project. It's actually 19 years later, I guess I kind of... Yeah, but we're, we're a little close ahead of the enough. Game. It's approximately 20 years. Maybe we'll just save this episode and release it next year. Let's, let's not, not do let's that. Not do that. <laughs> so, yeah, so welcome back. Uh, this is Maggie. This is Maddie. And we are here to talk about um, what I believe to be the finest and only perfect found footage horror film. I would agree with that statement. I think that no other film has ever done this as well uh, as The Blair Witch Project did. And The Blair Witch Project definitely wasn't the first found footage film? No, not at all. There were several before. I think the most notable was Cannibal Holocaust. I haven't seen it. I didn't actually realize that it was found footage. Yeah, so something that's kind of interesting and that um, I intended to talk about later, but we're going to talk about it now, uh, um, is that uh, when that movie came out, um, the director was actually falsely like charged with making a snuff film because he actually had to bring the yeah. actress into court to prove that he didn't kill her on camera. Right, which I think is so funny because like if that's like the spiritual predecessor to the Blair Witch Project, like people believed it was real, just like people a lot of people genuinely believed that the Blair Witch Project was like a real thing. It's insane. It's it is really fun to watch this. I remember oh the first God. time I watched it when I was a teenager and I was thought I was gonna be so scared and I was right. I was terrified. Yeah. I'm really glad. I, well, part of me is glad I didn't see this as a kid because I lived in, you know, not the woods, but like New Hampshire, everything's kind of the woods. Um, yeah, I don't think I saw the woods until I was like 18. Yeah, I don't think I would have been able to sleep at night <laughs> if I had seen this when I was younger. But on the other hand, like I really like by the time I saw it, I already knew that like it wasn't real. And I think I would have really enjoyed it more. I don't know if enjoyed is the right word, but I think I would have gotten more out of it if I'd watched it I also on. realized I was lying. I did a lot of camping as a kid, so I definitely <laughs> saw the woods before the age of 18. See, I didn't go camping. The woods were just all around me. You were always camping. I was always sort of camping, except for I was in a house. The woods were there. hours away from me growing up. So this is this is a very exciting one for us. Um, it's super iconic. So this is the Blair Witch Project. It uh, came out in 1999. So, yeah, Lots of 90s themes here. Oh, a lot it's of fun so with it. 90s. Everyone is wearing flannel. Everyone is smoking. Everyone is smoking cigarettes. She's wearing a real deep, like, black current lipstick I, situation. I think my favorite scene is when she's reading from the book dramatically, and she has this hairband that was like kind of a zigzag <laughs> thing that was yeah. super popular in the 90s. Oh, and her eyebrows are plucked all the way down. Oh, yeah. There's she doesn't have eyebrows. No, I hope that she's recovered those. I hope so. She still looked, I mean, she managed to rock the no eyebrows look. She did. Like, she looked like a cool, spooky girl that I would want to hang out with. Yeah, I mean, she looked like who I wanted to be in the year 1999. Yeah. Um, but I just hope that she's been able to, you know, return those to their natural yeah. state. So when we keep saying she, we are referring to Heather Donahue, who is one of the stars of this movie. Right. So she's a star along with Michael C. Williams and Joshua Leonard. And um, one thing that's notable about The Blair Witch Project is that all of the characters have the same exact name as their actors, which kind of lended to that realism. Which will make it a lot easier to discuss. Yeah. For us. Yeah. Uh, and it was written and directed by Daniel Murek and Eduardo Sanchez. It was um, made for $60,000. Yeah. And which is the, insane. One of the fascinating things about this is that, like, yes, Eduardo Sanchez and Dan Murek wrote and directed it. But all of, like, the world building was done by, like, the, the after-the-fact, like, online world building was done by Julia Fair, who's now Julia Murek, who is his wife, uh, Daniel Murek's wife. 
the production design was by Ben Rock, and that's a huge part of this. Like, I mean, even when we say that they wrote it, they wrote a 35-page outline. Right, of the mythology. Of the mythology. Barely even what was actually going to happen in the movie. Yeah, they just kind of let the actors improvise the entire thing. Yeah, and we'll get a little bit more into that when we kind of talk about the production of the film and the like marketing after and leading up to the release. Uh, of the film, but it is, it was absolutely a, a team effort, and everyone involved kind of made it what it was, which I think it it's important to acknowledge that, because it's not like an auteur thing where it's like, Hitchcock makes a movie and it's a Hitchcock movie, it's sort of like, it was a this group of people movie. Yeah, if anyone on the film had been different, it would have been a completely different movie. Yeah. So as Maddie mentioned, it was made for $60,000, which is insane, because it made $248.6 million, and I believe it might still be the highest um, like ratio of return to the original budget. That makes sense. I know yeah. before that it was Mad Max was like the highest, um, but I think that this one beat it that out. And I don't does. know what would have beat it since then. The only thing I could think of is potentially Paranormal Activity. I'm going to look that up right now, actually. So Paranormal Activity was actually made for only $15,000, which is even more insane and it did make 193.4 million so i guess that, that must, is a better ratio yeah that's a better ratio but still like it just shows what being creative with a video camera can do for you yeah so the movie as we said in the intro takes place in october of 1994 so five years before the movie actually came out mm-hmm. and it stars three film students heather mike and josh who are going out to make a documentary on the mythical Blair Witch. Right. It's her project. She's kind of hired these two guys. I think Josh is like a friend of hers and Mike is just like a guy he knows that's coming along with her. Yeah, and Josh is going to be the cameraman. Mm -hmm. Mike's going to be the sound guy and she's the director slash producer slash like the narrator or whatever. Brains behind the operation. Yeah, she's the expert on the Blair Witch. So they go out. uh, They travel to Burkittsville, Maryland, which they say used to be called Blair, Maryland. Um, and they go around and they interview all these people about this local legend, the Blair Witch. And they do really convincing talking heads. Yeah, they have a bunch of like really dramatic documentary shots of her talking at a cemetery. And they talk to a ton of residents in the town. Apparently most of those people were plants, except for the lady with the with the baby. Oh, really? Who was a real person. And the baby, they didn't like tell the baby to try to... Because while she's talking, the baby is like trying to put her hand her over, hand like, over no, her mouth. To be like, no. no, mommy, no. And she starts crying. And they didn't tell her to do any of that stuff. That's insane. That's so, so creepy. So the baby just got freaked out and was like, I don't want to hear about this, which is like a great way to start your movie. <laughs> yeah, it was really well done. Yeah. So while they're in the cemetery, they do note there are a lot of graves for the 1940s surrounding children. Yeah. Which is really Like a disproportionate number. And so they try to get to the bottom of this local legend. Yeah, so they interview all the locals and they all agree that there's like this old legend. They all have different stories though. So the woman with the baby talks mm-hmm. about two hunters who went to the woods and stayed in a cabin and, but were never heard from again. Right, and then like one of the guys, the old guy talks about how like back in the 1940s this guy named Rustin Parr came into town and was like, I'm done. And they were like, what are you talking about? And they went up to his house and there were like seven corpses of like missing children up there that yeah. he'd murdered and he'd had like one of them stand in the corner while he killed the other one because he didn't want their eyes on him. Yeah. It's all very creepy. So yeah, they'd stand facing the corner and then once he killed the other kid in the room, he'd go get the one from the corner and kill them. And they talk about 
Somebody tells them to go talk to this woman named Mary Brown. And Mary Brown tells a story about how when she was a kid fishing in the woods with her dad, she saw a woman wearing, like, a shawl, except she had horse fur all over her body. Yeah, like, her whole body was covered in horse hair. So it's clear there's something weird going on, or at least some really great tales going on. My favorite fact about this story is that the woman who played Mary Brown was the assistant or the the intern for the production designer. Her name was Patty. She helped on a bunch of the films. And they were trying to find a person to play Mary Brown. And I guess she was kind of a weird person. Like, that was her actual trailer that she lived in. And um, she kept, like, telling weird stories, like, during just the production of the movie. She kept telling him a bunch of insane things that she thought actually happened. And he was like, you know what? Why don't we just use this weird lady that we already have? And it's great because... And she's so good. She's really good. And throughout the movie, they occasionally reference, like, oh, do you remember this story that Mary Brown was talking about? Like, she was just off like a lunatic. I wasn't listening to half of what she said. Yeah. And they imply, like, they tell her... they. They show one of the stories that she told them, but apparently in universe she told like 12 other stories. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's funny that even during that scene, I got frustrated with um, Heather because she's like, okay, what did you see next? What did you see next? What did you see next? And like, isn't letting her finish her story. But like, if you were in a weird like trailer park with this lady who's just like telling you about this woman she saw covered in horse hair in the woods, you'd be like, great, let's get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think added a little bit of realism to it. The whole team goes to motel to spend the night, and they, like, drink and smoke and have a nice time. They're all happy and ready to go into the woods. And they're, like, they're having a good time. They have their cameras. They're trying to figure out how to use them. Yeah, they're so they... are filming all this fun footage. <laughs> so they go in, and they come across some fishermen right once they enter the woods the mm-hmm. next day and talk to them about... The Blair Witch. And one of them is like, that's a bunch of bullshit. Here's a story I heard. It's all lies. Yeah, and so he talks about a young girl named Robin Weaver who went missing in the late 1800s. Um, Really, the 1880s is when it's supposed to have happened. Yeah. Based on supplementary info from the website. And they talk about how she comes back three days later to her grandmother's house, and she's talking about how, like, she saw this old lady, or she saw this, like, woman out in the woods whose, like, feet never touched the ground, and all this crazy stuff. And the guy that he's fishing with is like... One of them is like, it's all a bunch of nonsense garbage. And the other one is like, nope, there's something out there. And you're stupid if you don't believe in it. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of fun to see these two old men arguing about whether or not there's a witch in the woods. Yeah. And so they go out and they're trying to find Coffin Rock, which is where apparently a group of five guys were found like horribly murdered back in the 1800s. Yeah. They're like hands were tied to each other's feet and in their the entrails were like removed. And they had writing in their skin that was yeah. carved in and they left to go get people to like official people, police and all that shit. And they got back and there were vultures, but there were no signs of the dead bodies. But the stench of death was still thick in the air. Yeah. Which is fucked up. So creepy and cool. Something I actually read that was really interesting about these scenes where Heather is telling these stories about the dramatic, like, poetry she reads in the cemetery as well as the scene is she actually did a ton of research on witchcraft and made this shit up herself. She seems like she was a super badass. She like learned all about this world. Yeah. She like became the master of this mythology and invented half of it. Which is so funny because then there's like the like it fits with her role in the film so well and like it adds to that feeling of like she is the one who like knows what's going on and like wants to get to the bottom of it and the guys are like hey guess what I don't care and I want to leave like but this is her passion project she yeah. loves this she loves this shit yeah so it's so good that they cast an actress who actually like went through 
and like really tried to learn. And you learned know? a lot about different witchcraft mythologies. Yeah, she seems very cool, Heather Donahue. So they camp out for the first night. Um, they it, like it starts to rain a little bit. They're like, "Fuck it, we're gonna camp." And they um, don't make a fire. This they don't night. make a fire because they can't because it's raining it's so hard. Too, yeah, it's too wet. They can't make a fire. The next morning they wake up and Heather's like, oh, I slept like a rock. And the guys were like, I don't know. I thought I heard something. Like one of them's like, I thought it was an owl. Another was like, I thought it was like a cackling noise. Yeah, outside I think of it was tent. Mike swears it was cackling. And he's like, yeah. I don't know what the other thing was, but I heard cackling. And she's yeah. like, well, if I heard cackling, I would have woken up. And so it's like, did something happen? Did something not happen? Yeah. I'm crazy. It's not on camera because neither of the guys really care about getting like every little thing on camera. She's yeah. the one who's like always shooting. Yep. So they keep going deeper into the woods. They don't believe that she knows where she's going. Yeah, they can constantly accuse her of having no idea. Which, like, she is, admittedly, they're like, you don't really know this area. Somebody just told you where it is. We have a map, but, like, we're not hiking the trails that are actually on the map. So, like, you don't really know. And she's like, no, 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 I totally know. I totally know. Don't check the map. You don't have to worry about it. I know what's going on. To be fair, she does get them to the cemetery that they're looking for, kind of. True. It is also very hard to tell whether or not she actually knows where she's going, because I think the implication is that the woods are fucking with them by the end of it. Oh, definitely. So... There's some she could have stuff. known where she was going, but they're not necessarily buying it. And Mike definitely is like, he doesn't know how to read a map, so it doesn't really matter to him. Yeah, because like, he picks this. up the map and he's like, this is all Greek to me. Like, I don't know what I'm looking at here. And, and she's, she's like, like, but well, it's okay. I do. Exactly, yeah. she does. So they eventually get um, up to the old cemetery, which has like these stacks of stones all over it. Right? And there are seven small stacks of stones. And Heather mentions um, Mary Brown saying something about a Bible verse with Esau and the stack of stacks of stones, but she can't remember what it was. And so we actually decided to look up different Bible verses about the stacks of stones and the one, according to Reddit, that is the most likely one, which... Well, it's Genesis so it would have had Esau and, yeah, and Jacob in it. Oh. Okay, so Esau is the son of Abraham and Sarah, who are two, like, important figures in Genesis. So when she mentions Esau and the stack of stones, that really narrows down to, like, it would have been from Genesis. Okay, cool, because I definitely when Googling it, found some other not from Genesis that people were trying to say it was, but I think mm-hmm. this is one that makes the most sense. Yeah. And the verse is, this pile of rocks and this rock set on end will remind us of our agreement. I will never go past this pile to hurt you, and you must never come to my side of them to hurt me. Which is like, shit, that's ominous. Yeah, and... Also, th- there's seven little piles of rocks, and there are seven dead kids yep. pulled out of the woods. And apparently in the supplementary materials, they talk about how, like, he would mark the graves. Like, Rustin Parr, the guy who killed all those kids, would mark the graves of his victims with little stacks of stones. But before he killed them. Right. So it was and like he was planning, up. yeah. And so that's just very ominous about the fact, like, if you continue on this journey to find me, then I will kill you, is kind of what this verse says. Yeah. Or taken in the context of the movie. Right. Like, I won't come towards you if you stop here, but if you keep going... All bets are off. Yeah. And, and she's like, this is so cool. Let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Although then, technically they do try to turn around. The, the, the goal is to go back, but they go back a different route to the car. Yeah. Because they wanted to stop by Coffin Is that when one of them knocks over the pile of stones? Yeah, I think when they're in there, my, uh, Josh, I think, knocks over one because of Because the they decide to rocks. camp in that area. Yeah. Yeah. So after they find the cemetery, they decide to make camp. Yeah. And that night, they hear a lot of shit in the woods. Yeah, there's... They make a fire that night. They do make a fire that night. And then that night, they hear twigs snapping. They hear people running around, it sounds like. They think they hear, like... They don't know if it's a deer Yeah, or they kind of go out and look a little bit, right? And they don't like, see anything. What's happening? We don't see anything. And, they're, and I think one of them's just like, it's a deer. Just go yeah, to sleep. It's we'll just, fine. Yeah, it's totally fine. So they wake up the next day, and 
attempt to hike back to the car. Right. And they're going a different route, so, like, they don't really know the area. Um, the previous route was to, like, get them to both of the locations they were trying to check out. This is just to go back to the car. Yeah, and the problem is they do not make it back in time. And Mike starts freaking out and yelling at Heather. Yeah. And he's like, it's your fault, because he needs to get the sound equipment back by the next day. And, actually, and Josh needs to go to work. Yeah, he has work at 9 a.m. the next morning, mm-hmm. but they're just not getting to the car. Yeah. And she's like, well, let's camp. We'll get up early. We'll get to the car. I swear that we're going in the right direction because I have the map. But it's probably just another couple miles. We're not going to make it before it's too dark to go any further. Yeah. They hear more noises the yeah. next night. They camp. They make the fire. They have nonstop noises. Yeah. And they're very freaked out at this point. They're tired. They don't have quite enough food for all of this. Um, and they wake up the next morning and they find three little fucking rock piles outside of their tent. Built in, like, perfectly near their tent. Yeah. And at first, like... Josh or Mike or whoever is like, are you sure that we didn't just like miss these last night? And Heather's like, no. Yeah, like I probably would have noticed if we set up a tent directly in between these three piles. Like, no, these were not fucking here. Yeah. And so they're like, something is out here or someone is out here and they're fucking with us. But they start to get ready to go and realize that the map is now missing. Yep. Um, Josh blames her. Constantly, He's like, well, you had it. You were in charge of the map. You lost it. And she's, she's like, like, no, well, I always I had put it in the same place. I always put it in there. this pocket. And he's like, well, I'm not going to your fucking pants to pick up this map. And she's, she's like, like, well, it's not there. Yeah. Um, so they're freaked out. They're like, they're all, they all start losing it at this point because they don't know where they are. They're, it's setting in on all of them. At some point, they're like working to cross this river on a log and each of them end up falling in and getting their shoes wet. And Mike just can't stop laughing about the situation. And she's like, are you fucking with me? Do you guys actually have the map? Like, please just show it to me or let me know that you have it. And in that conversation, it is revealed that Mike actually took the map and threw it into a creek because he was like, that thing was fucking useless. And she was like, it was useless to you. It wasn't useless to me. So they get into it. Like, she starts shoving him. They're, like, physically fighting. Everyone's freaking out. Like, Mike has just gone off the deep end. Josh is, like, screaming at him. It's just, it's it's very bad. And it's interesting because, like, it's such a realistic, like, way that everyone is breaking down. Yeah. So they decide... That, you know, because we don't have the map, we're just going to head south and only south. And if we keep falling, eventually run into something. Heather keeps saying it's impossible to get lost in modern day America because... It's not true. It's not true. But just the forest is only so big. And I don't think they're supposed to be in a huge area. So it makes sense that if they head in one direction for enough time, they should find the way out. Exactly. But they don't really have much water. They've run out of food. They're just kind of going crazy. Yeah. So they, um, while they're on this walk, they find this little, like clearing area sort of where there are a ton of these little fucked up human stick man figure things that are hanging from trees there are all different sizes they're all over the place it's just in a whole circle of surrounding this little clearing yeah and like there's just a ton of them everywhere so they get it all on camera and they're freaked out they're like they're like they think it maybe it's hillbillies and they're like no hillbillies aren't this creative like it's it's someone else and heather takes one with her doesn't yeah she? heather grabs one like a small one yeah like a little guy just to have you know evidence when you get out of the woods yeah and so they keep going on their way and eventually they have to make camp again cuz they still do not make it to the car yeah and, and they're i mean it's just it's constant fighting now like josh is just going around screaming that it's not fucking cool man it's really not cool man which is like a weird 90s way to react to like being lost in the woods and being doomed but they camp they don't make a fire because they realize the two nights that they made a fire this thing was fucking with them Mm -hmm. the first night when they didn't they were fine right 
So they don't make the fire. They're up camp, but they wake up in the middle of the night. And they hear some crazy shit. They hear babies laughing and children playing in the woods. Yeah, they say at some point a baby's screaming. Yeah. I love that the subtitles for the movie when I was watching it said eerie hooting. Well, they need to let people know what kind of hooting it is. Yeah. To be honest, you can't hear a lot of this But is it hooting happens. like children like laughing hooting? Is it owls? Owls? That's what my guess Woo-hoo. is. But it's eerie, so it's like... Ooh. That's eerie, right? Have you ever heard an owl in your I entire have, actually. Life? But I was being an eerie owl. <laughs> I had an owl almost attack me once. <laughs> By that, I mean it flew very, very close to my head. I didn't know what it was. There was just a white thing flying through the air and got very close to me, and I had to duck. And I never saw it again, and that was the owl that was living at my parents' house for a while. <laughs> Almost as scary as what happens in the next scene. <laughs> so they hear all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, the, the tent, tent starts, like, shaking. And they're like, we gotta get the fuck out of here. So they all sprint out and just stand in the woods. My favorite part of this is that once they all get out of the tent and they're in the woods together, one of them, she turns to one of the guys and goes, tell me what time it is. Like, tell me it's almost the morning. Tell me it's, like, 5 a.m. And he goes, no, it's 3 I thought Which that was is, a different scene. Oh, maybe it is. I don't know. Well, there's one of these scenes where they're, like, hiding from the thing. And, and she mentions, you know, she tries to check the time and he tells her it's 3 a.m., which is the witching hour, mm. which we also see in Amityville. That's the hour that, you know, oh, he was woken true. up every morning. Yeah. And you see it a lot in, like, a lot of these horror movies where, like... I think that it might have been a little bit later in the shaking scene because they're mm-hmm. only standing because they think they think they say they've only stood outside for about an hour once it gets light but they don't True. know what time it is. No, yeah, but there's it. one where like crazy shit is going on and they're like it's 3 a.m. Yeah. yeah, it's 3 a.m. So there's like kind of a, a nice little, tie little call in there to like the standard witchy shit. Um, they hide in the woods till dawn they go back to the tent and everything is fucked up. Like it's the tent's torn down. All their possessions have been like rifled through and yeah. shit. Yeah, mics are thrown everywhere. Like, mics in particular are thrown yeah. all over the place. And Josh's are covered in slime. Yeah, it's real weird. Which is gross. I think the whole blue jelly slime is, like, the least realistic part of this movie. I don't think they needed it that. I think they could have... It didn't add anything. Yeah. I, I Honestly, that was the only problem that I really had with, like, the writing, I guess, of the movie or the concept, like, the plot. I felt like that took me out of it because I don't find blue jelly to be scary. No, not in the slightest. And it isn't, like, realistic. Like, what could that be? Right. Because let's say this is all supposed to be not supernatural. It could be people messing with them. It could be, like, dogs or like, something. Like, even if it had been, like, blood. I would have yeah. been, like cool that could be like a hillbilly who like put pig's blood out there or it could be like a witch who has like baby's blood all over the place because baby's blood as like the witch's unguent the witch's ointment that we talked about in the witch witch, that's an existing thing i do kind of wish that they'd done that a little bit differently but honestly that's such a small complaint yeah you know in such a mostly perfect movie oh god i love this movie um, so they're freaking out and Josh just loses his shit. He's like making fun of Heather and like he, he, one thing that I really liked that he mentions is that, um, he says, I know why you like this camera so much. It's not quite reality. So like, it's the implication that she keeps filming because if she stops filming, she has to be in real life and it's just real life. And I as thought long that as was she's a filming, really well done moment. I thought it made a lot of sense to like justify why she would keep filming because like, like she says, it's all I have left, which I feel like her delivery on that one was a little bit over the top, but like, it kind of makes sense where like, as long as you're just filming a documentary and crazy shit's happening, it's like, okay, well, it's, it'll, it'll be good for the documentary. You know, it's, it's good for the documentary. And as soon as the documentary 
like concept is removed, then it's just you're alone in the woods and you're going to die. And I think it also gives a really good justification as to how they can keep shooting all this footage and show it to us because I feel like in a realistic situation, potentially, I don't think I'd keep filming and then all of a sudden I have this documentary and I'm like, oh yeah, but I don't can't tell you about any of the bad shit that happened to me. Right. We want to see that because as a viewer, we need to understand exactly. the scary stuff. We can't just be told about it later. And she's obviously very devoted yeah. to the concept of the Blair Witch Project. I and mean, like we mentioned earlier, this is her fucking passion project. Yeah. So like if crazy shit starts happening, you want to have that on camera. Yeah. Also like if you're freaked out in the woods and then you get out and later you want to go back and look at it, then you can tell, you know, was it real? Was I just going crazy? You know, it's almost like a documentation for her as well. That yeah. like, that makes justifying that what she went through was real. So... They keep walking, and then they get to another stream to cross and realize it's the same stream that they went across the day before. And they've just walked in a big, giant circle. Despite the fact they've been following the compass south the entire time. So something is... Either someone is fucking with magnets out there and intentionally fucking with their compass, or... The woods, the woods are, are fucking with them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, again, like, it's technically possible that someone is fucking with their compass... It is, or that they got, like, a fucked up compass. Yeah. Because it could be that they don't have a good compass. Right. Because a map only works if you have a compass to use to follow it. Exactly. And they don't have a map. They don't They just anymore. have a compass, true. so they don't even have, like, they can't check landmarks, really. Yeah. So... Josh, so they freak out. Uh, yeah, so Josh starts really taunting Heather, and he has a camera on her, and he's just like, oh, getting character. You're a documentary filmmaker. You're lost in the woods, and the witch is trying to attack you. What do you do? And he's just, like, fucking with her until she, like, goes off crying because she's, yeah. like, feeling horrible. And he's just being a real dick. I mean, yes. Understandably but also, so. <laughs> like, it is her fault that they're all out there and they got lost. I mean, I don't think it's 100% her fault in the sense that it's the witch's fault. Yeah. If you believe that this is a supernatural story true yeah it's like but if you but if you don't think that there is a supernatural thing and you don't know that the woods are fucking with you like looking at it from their perspective it's 100% like her fault she kept telling them to keep going she kept being like no you don't need to look at the map we don't need to do a map check we're fine like it's fine we're gonna get back to the car we just need to keep going yeah you know Definitely. um so i can understand his frustration in that regard and plus she is still filming which is like weird yeah um, so I completely understand it. But they kind of mend fences a little bit when they're in the tent. They have, like, a cute little thing. She's, like, stitching up his pants. Yeah. And they're all talking about how they want to, like, have a hamburger. And, or like, mashed potatoes or, and a piece of ass. Yes. Mike wants his mom's mashed potatoes and a piece of ass. <laughs> Hopefully not at the same time. <laughs> I really hope not. Or his mom drops off the mashed potatoes and then leaves. And then he gets his piece and of ass. And then he gets a piece of ass while he's eating mashed potatoes. Perfect. Good for Delicious. him. Delicious. Well, yeah, they are in the tent and... They're talking about going to sleep, but I think one of them's always trying to stay awake at the same time. Mm-hmm. And they do end up all falling asleep. And they wake up, and Josh jo- is gone. Yeah, Josh is missing. And they're like, she's freaking out. She's like, we were always supposed to stay in earshot. Like, where would he have and gone? And Mike's like, he's probably at the river. He's probably like, fine. He's probably he would like, be able to hear me. Like yeah. And they do not find Josh the no, entire they're time. They're screaming at the top of their lungs for him. They don't find him. They're like, okay, well, we have to keep going then. Yeah. Um, and that night they camp out again and they hear Josh just shrieking in the woods. And they'd go like one direction and it seems like he's coming from a different direction. They, they just can't figure out where, where the hell he to is. go. He's just screaming for help. Yeah. And they're eventually it stops and they go to sleep and they wake up the next morning and Heather finds a bundle of sticks and she takes it to the other side of a log nearby. Just She's like, I don't want to fucking deal with this. Yeah. And 
And she, like, comforts Mike because Mike is freaking out. They smoke cigarettes together. Yeah, he found a bunch of cigarettes at the bottom of his bag. Yay! Which is, again, one of those really 90s things. <laughs> it's so 90s. Um, but, I mean, at the same time, if you're going to die in the woods, you might as well enjoy a cigarette right. first. Fuck it. And yeah, it probably it helps you with the hunger because yeah. they haven't eaten in days. That's true. So, eventually, Heather goes and checks out the sticks that she put over behind the log. And she opens it up, and it is gross. Yeah, so it has Josh's flannel shirt Soaked like, in blood. Yeah, so, like, the sticks themselves are tied shut with strips of his shirt. And yep. then inside, there's, like, a little pouch made out of his flannel shirt as That's well. That's soaked in blood, and she opens it up, and it's not 100% clear what's in there. So it's definitely teeth. There's definitely teeth. There's some hair, and there's some blood. There's blood, and maybe something that could be a finger or a tongue or something yeah. like that. It's not 100% clear, but it's clearly body parts that are heavily implied to be taken from Josh. Yeah. And are very human-looking. Yes. And it's, like, long hair, and he has long hair, so yeah. it's, like, probably, yeah. She loses it. Yeah, she freaks the fuck She's out. She's, like, screaming. I don't really know, because later, when she, like, goes back to Mike, she, like, plays it off. She doesn't tell him about Mike, about Yeah, she's Josh. still, like, crying and, like, trying to get over it, and he's, like, what the fuck happened? She's, like, no, I'm just tired. I'm just hungry. But she shrieked when she found it. Like, yeah. if you were Mike, and you were out with her, and you heard that, wouldn't you go check it out? Yeah. So weird. I don't know if he was just farther away and thought she was just losing her shit or what. Um, But she doesn't tell him, which is a weird thing, but I think kind of a sweet thing that, like, she doesn't want him to know how bad it is. Yeah. And so they continue on their way and eventually make camp one more time. And she records the most iconic, one of the most iconic scenes in horror film history. Oh, without a doubt. And it's been, like, parodied everywhere since then. But it works so well. She wrote that on the fly. Like, she did that herself. That's insane. They were both supposed to, like, write or, like, do confessional scenes where they just said whatever they wanted to say. If it was the last thing that anyone was ever going to see, like, what would you want them to see? They didn't even use Mike's. Mike's. No, we didn't ever get to see his. And instead, they used this close-up shot. She thought she was filming her whole face. She couldn't really tell what the camera was She was, was really bad at zooming in and out. Yeah. We found out. Um, we watched a documentary <laughs> um, that was a and a with some of the filmmakers and at the Library of Congress. And they were saying, like, yeah, we had to teach her how to use this because she was always way too zoomed in. And it was yeah. even... Sh- most of the movie film was even shakier than what you see on camera. Yeah. But... So she yeah, thought that she was filming her entire face, but really it's like her nose and like her eyes. Sometimes both of them, sometimes only one of them. Yeah, and she is apparently great at crying. She's got these huge giant tears in her eyes, and she does in one part of it have a very distracting booger hanging out of her Oh, nose. she has, well, like, you know when you just cry hysterically and it's just not, not everywhere? It's that. It, which, like, in the moment, it makes sense. It didn't necessarily age well, and it got parodied a lot. But, like, she gives this really, like, heart-wrenching, like, apology to her her parents and to Mike and Josh's parents and, like, apologizing for putting them all in this situation. I mean, it got parodied a lot, but I don't think it would have been parodied if it wasn't iconic. Yeah, I also don't think that they would have gone as far with it if, like, there's the scene in Scary Movie where there's, like, snot, like, a ton of snot, like, coming out of the nose. Like, definitely the snot took people a little bit out of it. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was, like, kind of realistic that way. Oh, yeah, it's definitely realistic, but I think it's one of those things where it's, like, when you're in that moment, it's, like, this is real, and then when you're watching it on the screen, you're, like, why didn't you wipe your nose? That's true. (laughs) But it's still a great scene. She does an incredible job. It's really, like, heartbreaking. And then she's, like, what was that? I heard something. And it seems like she heard some sort of grinding or something like that. Yeah. And it cuts to them in the tent, and they hear Josh again. Yeah, and they're, like, we're gonna go find him. And so they run out, and they follow his cries, which are actually kind of always going the same direction for the first And he says, hey, follow my voice, follow my voice. Yeah. And so they do. And they follow it to this old abandoned house. And they go inside. Like, the windows are boarded up partially. And it's just 
a really shitty place. So the windows are kind of boarded up and it's just kind of beat to shit. And they go inside and at first Mike thinks that he hears Josh upstairs. So he runs upstairs and as he runs up the stairs and is filming, there are handprints. Like bloody handprints that are clearly old blood that's dry. Yeah, it's like black. And they're child-sized. Yeah, and so they're dark. They are implied to be blood, though it's almost, like, black on the walls. Yeah, I think they used a charcoal paint. That makes Um, sense. But it looks like it could be blood. There's, like, runes painted all over the house. Oh, yeah, it's super messed up. And there are, like, hundreds of handprints. Not just, like, the occasional, but just, like, nonstop throughout the house. So they think they hear him upstairs. Mike is, like, freaking out. Mike has lost it. He's like, I hear him upstairs. And he, like, runs up the stairs. And Heather's like, don't. And she goes up after him. And, and then, then he's, he's like, like, I hear him downstairs. And he runs downstairs. And she's like, what the fuck? And so you see Mike's camera. And he's running down the stairs. And he gets down. He's, like, looking around. There's, like, a thunk. And he, like, drops the camera. Yeah. And it stops. And then you just hear her horrifying screams. The subtitle said that she was screaming his name. But it's almost impossible to tell what she's saying. She's yeah, just I think shrieking. she's, like, supposed to be screaming his name at the top of her lungs. Yeah. Kind of like when she lost Josh. Yeah, Actually. it's, like, basically and inaudible. She, we go to her. And she is has the camera and she's running downstairs to follow after Mike. Mm-hmm. Cause there's, yeah, there's two cameras and yeah. Cause there's a handheld kind of shitty, just regular 1990s camcorder. Mm-hmm. And then there's the nice black and white video. So it kind of yeah. goes between the two for the entire thing. So she comes down the stairs and she is looking for Mike and she's freaking out and she turns a corner and you just see an empty basement. And Mike is standing in the corner facing the wall, just like rust and pars victims were made to do. And she's screaming his name and screaming his name. He's not turning around. And then there's this thwack noise and she drops the camera and that's it. And yeah, it just shoots for another like 10 seconds of this now semi-broken camera. And cuts to credits. Yep. And that's their Witch. No music throughout the entire thing. No. Nope. No, I guess they play, like, you can hear something on the car radio Yeah, at some they're point. singing America the Beautiful or whatever. But it's, like, not... But there isn't, like, a soundtrack no. to this. No. There's very little... They go out of their way to make it seem unprofessional. Which I love and I think is a brilliant... I mean, this is just such a well-done example of found footage. I love it. Um, so the production alone of this movie is bizarre. Yeah, it's really... Yeah, it's done really differently than anything else in the genre. It's... I mean, like we said, it's it's all designed to make you believe the story to the point that when they were pitching this, they would go to meetings with, like, people they wanted to be involved and be like, hey, so, like, my friend knows these three kids, right? And, like, they're missing. But, like, somebody went out there and they found these tapes and, like, we're gonna look through them and see what's on them. And people were like, holy shit, I want to see the tapes. And they're like, okay, cool. So that's not true, but we're going to make a movie and that's gonna be the plot line. And people were like, cool, I really want to do that. Yeah. Like, it worked. People... It's like, as soon as you know that you want to see what's on those tapes, you know that other people are going to want to see what's on those tapes. You know? Definitely. And, I mean, even the casting process for this was insane. They went to New York, they auditioned over a thousand actors, and they'd ask them for ridiculous improv situations. So, one of them they do was like, okay, you're on parole, and you have to tell us why you should be let on parole. And if they hesitated for even a second before starting to go into their answers, then they would automatically be, like, asked to leave. And like, they, were they weren't be- even, they didn't even get to, like, come in and introduce themselves. No, it, it was, was like, when you come in, it was like, tell us why you should be on parole if you haven't, you know, demonstrated any And if they didn't go straight into their improv, then they were done. Yeah. And... 
it was great we heard in the Q&A in the Library of Congress thing that Heather, the star, she was like, oh, you shouldn't let me out. I murdered people. <laughs> and they're like, okay, cool. I just want to hang out with her so badly. I know. <laughs> and, like, now she, like, grows pot for a living somewhere. Which is awesome. She's in California. Is she girl. in Colorado? Like, where we is she? We don't know. But she's living the life. I hope she's doing great. I really hope she's just me having too. a wonderful life. Um so yeah, so they have all these people who they know are good at improv. They do like a little like get ready and figure out how to use the cameras boot camp, and then they drive them out to the middle of the fucking woods. They're like and leave them. There. Have fun. Yeah. There's this really interesting multi-part article on dreadcentral.com where um, Ben Rock, who is the production designer, uh, talks about like the the process of like starting it out, getting it made, all this stuff. And he says that Heather Donahue called them not long before they started shooting and was like, hey, like my mom thinks you're shooting a snuff film. Like, she thinks that you are literally driving me out into the middle of the woods to murder me. Like, can you prove that you aren't? And they were like, what the fuck? Like, they didn't, I guess they, I assume, showed her something because she went and did it. But, like, that's how unusual the process was. The people were like, are you sure that this isn't, like, very bad news? Yeah. So instead, what they did is they drove them out to the middle of nowhere um, they gave them this, they'd given them like the 35 page summary of the myth of the Blair Witch and the basic concept of the film, which is you're shooting this documentary. Yeah. Um, Heather was the one who had the most information. Like you said, she got really into it. Yeah. And she came, she pre-wrote those lines that she recited yeah. when they're supposed to be like the dramatic opening scenes of the documentary. Yeah. And it's just a shot of her holding this book and reading from it. And she wrote everything. Which is so cool. That is. I feel like they deserve writer credits as well. Right. As yeah. Credits. So the way that this was handled is they were given the equipment. They filmed the whole thing. They filmed like 35 hours of yeah. footage or something stupid like that. Yeah. They were in character 24-7. And if they ever wanted to take a break, they had to say the word taco. Yeah. There's a little bit of... I've seen taco a bunch of places. Ben Rock uses a different one. I don't know if he just doesn't remember it or if he wants to use a more impressive sounding word or whatever. <laughs> but he, he's the only thing that I've seen that was like bulldozer or something like that. Gotcha. And it's also a chance that maybe like one of the... Like maybe they each had different words or something True. like that. True. Yeah, that could have been There's a chance. Well. But yeah, the one I saw everywhere was taco. Apparently the only time they actually used it was the first night when it rained really hard and they missed it at first. Like the crew didn't have the walkie-talkie near oh, no. them. And so they missed it, and then they had to, like... They came out of the woods and called them from a house. Um, so, like, that's the only time that they broke. Other than that, they were out there in the woods the entire time. Um, that's so impressive. Yeah. Like, very few interactions with... To the point that, like, they didn't have direct access to the crew, for the most part. Like, they left them, like, caches of... Uh, food, like, new film stock. I know they ate a lot of power bars. Yeah. They, lots and lots of power they bars. They didn't have much food. Like, they were really actually hungry when they were out there. They were really... I mean, they, these are all non-union talent, so, like, you couldn't do this for most movies. Like, oh, dear God, no. you, the union would destroy you if you tried to do this, which, like, good. Yeah, no. <laughs> there they should be someone. They $1,000 a day, though, so at least That's they were getting... That's pretty good. Because if you think Especially about... Especially in 99. That's, like, $50 an hour almost. Yeah. Right? No, $40 no, an hour. Yeah. For 24 hours of work. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. That is pretty good. Um, so, I mean, they did all right. They did fine. They became part of a One incredibly of the famous movie. Yeah. The entire world had seen in horror. Um, so they had them out there. They would give them, like, vague directions as to what they had to do next. Um, to the point that when it got to the opening of the sticks thing, 
they didn't give them the instructions that you have to open the packet of sticks. So that's so when we see her picking it up and just dropping it off behind a log, that, that was, was her, her first instinct. She was like, like I, I don't want to know. Don't want to deal with this. That was one of the few times they had to break the like lack of contact because Ben Rock had to go back out and be like, okay, um, you have to open it. <laughs> And Mike was like, I'm not opening it. And Heather was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, it was freaky to live that life. Dude, and, like, one of those was a real tooth. They got it from a dentist. Oh, God. That someone knew. So gross. Like, <laughs> like, she didn't... I think it was probably some of his real hair. Like, and they didn't really know where he'd gone. Like, they knew that he was gone and that, like, people were going to start leaving, but they didn't really understand where he'd, le- where he'd gone to. Um, when he left, when Josh left they recorded him in studio screaming for help. And then they brought a sound system out to the woods and they played that audio. Just like they played the sounds of children playing and stuff like that. So they didn't know that was going to happen. That's another thing is like, they weren't told that like people were going to fuck with them to the degree that they were fucking with them. So when they hear noises in the woods, there's a scene where they say something about, do you think it's them fucking with us? When they hear Josh screaming. That was like their actual reaction because they were like, is this the crew that's doing this or is this Josh? Like, do we have to worry? Like, what is happening? Um, So, yeah. So they were like freaked out the whole time because people were actually running around their tent and making noises and like leaving them stick piles and shit like that. Meanwhile, Josh, who was the first one to die, Mm -hmm. enjoyed a meal at Denny's and then got tickets to a concert as like a thank you for his work. So they were still shooting in the park and he was like off at a concert and eating real food. <laughs> there's a there's a, a thing in the Ben Rock uh, article where they go out to like Chi-Chi's for dinner the first night of filming. They're like, hey guys, you know what? We're making a movie right now. And we're also eating <laughs> this Mexican food, but there's still a movie being made actively <laughs> while we're doing this. Oh man. Um, but yeah, like, so... Um, I think the only time that she actually slept in a bed, that Heather actually slept in a bed the entire time, was Motel right scene. before she filmed the confessional. Because they were, like, out in the woods and they were exhausted and they had, like, no food left. And she was like, please just let me go to a hotel and sleep in a bed. Oh and they were like, God. okay, fine. She was like, I won't change my clothes. I promise. When they were in the house towards the end, like, there were crew members in there with them, like, banging on the floor when they were in the basement and, like, making noises upstairs when they were downstairs. And, like, so when they're, like, running around being like, where the fuck is he? What's going on? They're actually trying to find him. Yeah, there's, like, people in black hiding in the corners to, like, move shit around. Like, I can't even imagine how scary it would have been to be one of the actors in this movie. I'm sure it was terrifying. Like, no wonder they didn't continue can acting. You imagine? That's your first major film role. And, like, I'm not surprised that Mike became a high school counselor. Right. Josh, Josh is, still acts, but that's Josh because he's the, had one, the best. he's the one who got to go to Denny's in the concert yeah. while the others were being tortured with his screams. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's fucked up. It's really fucked up. It is. It made a great movie, it though. It did. Holy shit, it made a good movie. It's a real... And it holds up well. It does, because it's, it's real human emotion, and I think that that's... It's hard to fake, and yeah. it's easy to tell when it's real, and, and it's obvious that it's real in this movie. And I think the idea um, that we've talked about before... We, uh, I think one of the ideas is that they aren't 
narrative creators, the, the actors who are doing this. Right. So it doesn't feel like a real movie. And actually, we saw in that documentary that this was made originally to be like a traditional documentary where there'd be scenes with narrative and voiceover and then cut to the footage. And they realized that was just taking away from all the tension. Right. So they just put it all together. But because of that, it wasn't made with a narrative because the narrative was supposed to be stuck in throughout it. Right. So it feels more real because it doesn't follow a traditional plot arc. Right. So you have something like Paranormal Activity or you have something like Cloverfield or Grave Encounters and all of those follow a traditional plot arc, but they are found footage and they feel less real because of that. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a very guerrilla style way to make a movie and it really worked out. That, and I noticed while we were watching this and thinking about all the other found footage movies I've seen, that they all are for the most part, are pretty slow burns. Yeah, they start off very normal. Because if you watch something like a traditional haunted house movie, let's say like The Conjuring or something like that, usually there are there's like a good jump scare in the very beginning to kind of get you on your toes and be like, this is the, setting the tone for the rest of the movie. It doesn't really get scary until about half an hour in. Yeah, all of the tension early on in this movie is th- within like the group is it's how this group is falling apart and yeah. how you're, like, watching people, like, Mike cracks under pressure. He does. And he just goes nuts. Very and then Josh early. just later goes nuts. Heather, I would think, arguably holds her shit together the best. She does. But still, you can tell she's, like, fucked up the entire time. Oh, yeah. She, I feel like it's the de facto leader of this group. I mean, it's her project. She's the director and everything yeah. like that. And I think she wants to maintain composure in order to be there for them to a certain extent. I think at a certain point, she also feels incredibly guilty. She does. I mean, like, obviously that her confession, but I think it starts a lot earlier. And she just doesn't want to admit it because she doesn't want to say, yes, I dragged you out here and I don't know where I'm going. I mean, going, like, when she fucked. is saying that she lost the map, like, she won't look anyone in the eye. Yeah. Because I think she, in part, also thinks that she did it. Yeah. Um, we can get into a little more. I do want to talk about kind of the history of found footage and yeah, like definitely. the whole structure, but I also want to talk about the bonkers marketing for this <laughs> this yeah. movie. Um, so one of the things that they did is they shot this short piece, this like forty five minute mini doc called "The Curse of the Blair Witch," and it aired on a TV program called Split Screen without any information about it. Really, like they didn't tell people it was fake. So. Then on the, like, the website, the split scene website, where they have, like, the message boards, people were like, wait, what? Like, they kept asking questions, and all that footage was taken from, like, the 35 hours mm-hmm. and not included in the movie. Right. And it was just, they had so much fucking footage. Exactly. And a lot of it was really good, so they're like, well, what do we do with this? Um, but they got so many questions on the split screen airing, they were like, oh, God, I guess we have to answer some of these questions. Let's make a website! So they make an incredible website. And this is where... Um, Julia Fair, who was credited as a production assistant during the making of the movie itself, basically creates the, the entire, whole Blair Witch mythology. Yeah, she becomes the entire universe, and she talked about how she would have to reference previous things that she wrote, and she created this whole system of different documents that related to each other, but she wrote all of them. And yeah. she was like, oh yeah, like there's this thing. Oh wait, no, I actually did that. <laughs> <laughs> like, she was so thorough that for a second she thought that she was basing it on reality, even though she knew she had made all of the docs herself. And at some point on the website, they mentioned that there is this book that is only available in this one 
like, like the, the Maryland Historical Society, I think. And so the Maryland Historical Society started getting calls asking, like, oh, can we check out this book? And they're like, no, this book doesn't exist. They're like, oh, so you won't show it to us? And they had to change it on the site to say it was a private collection. Because these people were being tormented with phone calls trying to see this book that just did not exist. I would definitely recommend, in addition to watching Blair Witch, um, definitely watch the, like, the making of the Blair Witch uh, little short documentary that they have. It's not really a documentary in the traditional style. It's just them talking at the Library of Congress about But about it's 45 minutes of a lot of information. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. And, like, you get to see the people, like, it, it came out, like, two years ago, I think, 2016? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty recent, and it's, like, taking a lot of the, like, cultural impact into consideration. It's just a really cool thing if you want, like, a little more information, a little more insight into the people who made the movie. I think you should probably look I at agree. it. Um, so, yeah, so they make this. They publish all this background information. This is still, like, well before the movie has premiered. So it starts getting this word-of-mouth campaign where people are like, oh, there's this documentary. Oh, these kids went missing. Like, oh, what's going on? And it's and 1999. Actually, like, posted missing signs. Or, like, yeah. oh, there are these hikers who have gone missing. Yeah. Like, have you seen them? And since these were not recognizable actors, and it was 99 before everybody had, like, social media and, like, you could post everything you've ever seen online. I mean, Google didn't exist until 1999. That was the first right. year that Google existed. People didn't use it in that way. You you couldn't and just if you think Google about a it, person. This um, movie came out in theaters in 1999. Yeah. So the marketing campaign was happening before that. So there's a good chance this marketing ha- campaign was happening pre-Google. Yeah. Like, it, it was happening pre-Facebook. It was happening pre-most of the sites that you think of when you think of social media This nowadays. is why when I say that this is, like, the only true, incredible found footage movie, I just don't think you can do this anymore. Like, I think that everything is too Googleable and too accessible. I mean, you, like, what we talked about, like... And we'll talk about more, like, what the future of the genre would be. There are ways that you can use the same concept, but in terms of, like, this movie, Blair Witch couldn't be made today. Blair Witch can't be at all. I think Paranormal Activity is the closest traditional movie that's but even the sense, then, but no one thought it was real. Right. Like, like you mentioned, their marketing campaign focused on how scary it was, yeah. not how real it was. Because they did a lot of footage of audiences being like, look at how they're reacting to all these scary scenes. And you had to actually demand for it to be shown in your theater because it was such a small movie that didn't really have a following. And they're like, oh, if you want to see it, ask for it to be in your theater, which got everyone asking for it to right. be put in theaters. So everyone wanted to see it. So it blew up in the same way. Exactly. And so they used the whole idea, like, they were also able to make a successful online viral marketing campaign, but be- they didn't even try to say that it was right real because I think at that point no one would believe. No, it. I don't think anybody would have because even at that point, like there was Facebook, you can Google, like you could search Heather Donahue or Josh uh, yeah. Leonard and be like, oh, like I can see that he's not dead. I think the closest thing probably to the believability is going to be Marble Hornets, which mm-hmm. was the YouTube series that really um, blew up the mythology of Slenderman. And it's done. There are a lot of episodes. I know at least over 80. Um, and they're all a couple short minutes. And there's someone just like a camcord filming stuff outside. And they're like, oh, on this day, nothing bad happens. Just like showing normal day stuff. And then sometimes you'll see like the shadowy figure outside. Yeah. Or, and it goes between multiple characters. But the same thing where it's, they bought a camcorder. Uh, they bought a camcorder. They just filmed stuff around their houses and occasionally had to get some props to like make the Slender Man guy. Yeah. But that was it. And they did it with unknown people because it was just their passion project. They made Facebook accounts for these people and all that and had them actually interact with each other. Right. And so they went really in deep on that. And it was also one of those things where people thought it was real at first. Yeah. That's one of the interesting things because just because found footage as a movie concept is new doesn't mean that the idea of like trying to incorporate that realism is new at all. Like that is so old. I mean, it's like what we talked about with Candyman um, where, like, it's all urban legend. I mean, they're exploring an urban legend. It's it's the same 
witch stuff that like we see in the witch. I mean, Ben Rock even mentions that when he saw the witch, he was like, I wish this is kind of what they wish they could have made when they were out there. Like that's so interesting. It's drawing on those old fears that it's going to be real, that it's going to be out there, that there's something unknown that you don't and everyone have a knows way of the story against. of the Salem witch trials. Everyone right. talks about like Bloody Mary or right. I don't know, the man with the hook hand and stuff yeah. like that. Like, these are things that you're told, and when you finally decide to look into it and find that maybe it's real. It's so creepy. And it's, like, such a fun... One of the things they talk about in the the, um, the lecture thing that they did, the Q&A at the Library of Congress, is people want to believe that something creepy is out there. People want to believe that there's something else that you're not seeing that other people don't know about that's mysterious and spooky and creepy and weird. People like that, and they want to buy into it. And so, like, even as far back as, like, gothic horror, right? So you've got you know, your Frankensteins, your Draculas, your Wuthering Heights. Those are all written in this concept where it's the main character, or not the main character, but the, like, narrator character being told a story by someone else about all these insane things happening. So it's almost like all of this crazy shit happened, but this person that I talked to, they were really there for it, and they really saw it. You know, it's real. Like having a series of letters or something about, like, there being ghosts at Wuthering Heights is about as close as you could have come during that time period to, you know, my brother's friend saw, you know, the man with the hook hand up at the, you know, campsite, or look at this documentary I found about these kids who really got lost out in the woods. Like, it's always existed. I think it's always going to exist. I mean, in the same way, if you think about when War of the Worlds was on the radio, and it was kind of done the same thing, where it's treated like presentable real footage but yeah. it was just news footage right and people freaked out thinking it was a real alien invasion yeah because that's how it was presented and so you have these novels that were presented like hey this is a true story that someone told me you have a radio show that's like hey this is this real thing going on outside right now and of course it'd make its way to movies but what i think is interesting about a found footage film is that it removes the one thing that separates the audience from the story, which is when you're watching Amityville, right? When you're watching the Amityville horror, no matter how scary things get, this was a bad thing. I didn't think Amityville was scary at all. So this is a bad example. <laughs> but if you're very scared by haunted houses, even when you're watching Amityville horror, you know at the end of the day, well, that's James Brolin and he's a famous man and the camera's moving around and there's these special effects and someone had to be there and do that and they probably went home to a trailer at the end of the day and like none of that stuff's really real because all of these people had to set it up and recreate it. Yeah. As soon as you remove a cameraman from that and it's just the actual actors physically carrying around the cameras, which they did. I mean, it's not even like they brought in a third like or like a fourth person to pretend to be them while they're shooting. Like literally those people were filming the movie. Once you bring that in, you break away that like barrier between the audience and the horrible thing that's happening. You know, it can yeah. be all real. It doesn't have to have that that um, veneer over it. You know, it breaks down that veil and it really it's not makes like it personal. That, but I think that, again, one of the reasons why The Blair Witch is such a believable movie and Paranormal Activity isn't is you actually see supernatural things happening in Paranormal yes. Activity and you don't see that in The Blair Witch. Which I also think is like such a brilliant way of using the flaws of the found footage genre to its advantage because like those cameras they're pointing them at the woods the whole time you just can't see very far because they're not good cameras and they don't know how to use them and they're afraid so they're not 
you know, setting up clear shots. And I think it also sets it up for a variety of interpretations, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, you mentioned that. You can believe that, oh, there's this external witch that's killing them all, or you can believe that they kind of go crazy and kill each other. And apparently the sequel kind of delves into the idea of madness a little bit. I haven't seen it, but an article I was reading earlier did say that. Mm-hmm. But there's, like, a theory that Josh was possessed. So when he was taken, he left, and then he kills both of them at the end. There's a theory that both Josh and Mike were possessed. And so Mike is the one, when he throws the map away, that's actually an act of the witch fucking with them. So there's a ton of theories as to what potentially happened. But also it could just be that they got lost in the woods, found some creepy stuff that was already there, and went insane. Yeah. Like, that is a technical, plausible reading of this movie. Yeah, because you don't see... Apparently there was, like, supposed to be one scene where you were going to see, like, a lady in white or something like that and they just I never think shot it's it. good not to do that I think it's I better think that would have made it worse yeah because honestly that's another thing is like as soon as you know that something is posed or fake or whatever if it strains believability at all it takes you out of it and it's nice because they did include, include a couple of little details that they don't outright call out mm-hmm. so the fact that this happens approximately every 50 years it happened in the 1940s when all the children died mm-hmm. it happened in the late 1800s which isn't officially called out as like 1886 or whatever but that's when it what I saw written on one of the wikias of right. the year it's supposed to have happened, and then it happens again in the 90s. Yeah. So it's every 50 to 60 years, there's a big event where a bunch of people die or something crazy happens. Or the idea that there's this house, and they talk about in the beginning when the hunters, they go to a cabin. Is that cabin this house? Is that also the house of... What's Rustin Parr. Of Rustin Parr. And... They're just little hints as to a mythology that could be built from this, but they don't throw it in your face. Right. Which I think is awesome. And And I think that's the spookiest way to do it. Yeah. And I do think that the fact that they had to shoot 35 hours of footage and they narrowed it down to an hour and a half, because they said they only wanted to take the stuff that was really believable, because they are actors. And at times they're going to seem like actors, and at times they're not. And they were able to really capture those bits where they were the most believable and, like, the purest. Yeah. I mean, it's just... Also, you know, about the believability is they were actively encouraged to play themselves. So, mm-hmm. like, Mike, when he was asking what he was supposed to do, they are like, oh, just be Mike. And so he wasn't playing a character who's, like, dramatic or brooding. He was just like, oh, I'm going to be who I am. Yeah. And apparently who he is is kind of an asshole. Yeah, but, he's, like, pissed off. Yeah, understandably. And he is just someone who cracks really easily under pressure, and that's how he'd react. He's like, be you, but be angry. Yeah, and I mean, it makes sense, because, like... Yeah, like, if you start off and you're like, okay, well, I'm a little grumpy, so I'm going to play up being a little grumpy, that adds that level of, like, now there's tension and frustration between them. And it's easy to play off the flaws you know you have. Yeah, exactly. go for it. Um, And Maggie and I were also talking about what does the future of found footage potentially look like. So, all right, so from this, obviously this was the big, like, huge one that got really popular. People believed in it. People thought it was real. So this genre blew up after Blair Witch. Uh, We talked about paranormal activity. I think that that's the most authentic follow-up. It's another super low-budget one. Um, Again, you do see something at the end, but it's very, it's still pretty vague. It is. I mean, I do love the, our friend Mark's (laughs) five point. um, It was more than five points. It was like a 17 point uh, explanation. I remember the first time we saw it while I was in theaters, he came up with five points (laughs) about as to why the demon in paranormal activity was actually just a velociraptor. (laughs) We did not see, when we saw um, paranormal activity, we did not see it in the correct circumstances. I was not scared at all. Yeah, we went and we We saw it in a mostly empty theater and we just talked shit the entire time. Well, so I was afraid that I was going to be too scared to see this movie. Every time it got spooky, our other friend, we'll call him Rizzo, because they're two marks, um, 
would sing uh, Get Low by Lil John and the Ying Yang Twins. Yeah, because that was the way to make it so I wasn't scared, so I can't watch that movie and take it seriously <laughs> oh, anymore. Oh, skeet, skeet, goddamn. <laughs> It was a beautiful moment in um, friendship history. <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, we still did appreciate it, although I, I do kind of wish I'd seen it in a full house as well, in addition to that beautiful four-person screening yeah. um, in the AMC Boston, Lowe's, Boston Common. Yep. Um, but, yeah, so you get that, like, there's a lot of other things that you see happening, and then you see, like, the people just standing up in the middle of the night or walking around or doing whatever creepy stuff is I happening. I do think, like, when she would just, like, stand up. And, That's like, creepy. That was creepy That's terrifying, because really you don't doing. know what's happening. And it's nothing supernatural is happening. It could just right. be sleepwalking, but what if there's a reason? Right. I think it's that big what if that exactly. scares people. And I think that one of the issues um, where it kind of falls apart is, like, there have been a shitload of Paranormal Activity sequels. And even if they're good and even if they're still shot in that same authentic feel and they're still relatively low budget, although the budgets keep getting a little bit higher and a little bit higher, once it's not just this one weird crystallized thing that someone found, it strains the credibility. And I think that that's something that the genre has kind of struggled with. Like, I do think so as well. Yeah, we were trying to talk about Let's say there were to be a sequel. Mm-hmm. How would that work? I mean, there is a sequel. We haven't seen it. It take, took it actually came out in 2016, I believe. Yeah, there's um, actually I think technically two sequels. There are two but... sequels, and both of them are sequels. There, like the third one isn't a sequel to the sequel. Right. It's also a direct sequel to the first one, mm-hmm. and that one's in the found footage style again. But... Yeah. I'm not saying that it's bad, and I'm not saying that it ruins the movie or that it makes it unbelievable. It's just I think people know. People have a general understanding that sequels are something that studios do to get more money. So the new movie that came out in 2016 was supposed to have one of the characters was the younger brother of Heather. And so he went searching for her. What I would do if I wanted to make a sequel about this to also make it realistic is make it so a bunch of people saw the movie Blair Witch and were like, oh, we want to see if this is real. There's like a, like maybe I'm from the town. And ever since that movie came out, we are it's become like a legend no one can spend a night in the woods so we're gonna do it and just prove that this is fake and then it turns out to be real yeah so they're doing I mean, that's it a cool inspired way of doing by it. the movie recognizing that the first movie is fake and this is a reaction to that and that's kind of what happened a little bit in scream four yeah um which i honestly is my favorite scream sequel God, i love scream four um because the whole idea is like all this stuff happened and this is supposed to be kind of a remake or we step it up and someone's trying to remake the tragic events of the past yeah in a more modern modern way. Yeah. And so I thought the Scream 4 did a really good job of that, and I think they could have done something similar in Blair Witch. Which is to capture the same feeling without the same... I mean, obviously in Scream 4 there's, like, Sydney is still there, and it's, like, her family and all that stuff, but, like, yeah, it's, like, that same... It's the idea of this is something that we saw happen. I guess it's a little different, but... I love the idea of, oh, I saw this movie, so I'm going to go just film my own, myself in the woods because I don't think this is real and I want to prove to everyone that it's not. Right. And then release it on YouTube Red or something like that. Make yeah. it feel more 2016, you know? Yeah. Um, Make so, it like a Snapchat movie. Have, like, dancing oh, hot dogs in it. Be amazing. Um, but, I mean, we do really see found footage become a subgenre of its own, you it know? Even huge. after this, like, we got Cloverfield, which introduces, like, a big monster and, like, more locations and a larger, much larger budget. I think Actually, it was a $20 million dollar budget. I haven't either. I need to. I saw the, uh, 
10 Cloverfield Lane? Yeah. 10 Cloverfield Lane is amazing. That was really good. That is such a good Not found footage. No, it's not. It's a totally different vibe. Yeah. Um, You got VHS, which Which is is an anthology. anthology. Which is also really well done because it's an anthology, but the idea is that he broke into this guy's house and there are tons of video cassettes Mm -hmm. everywhere. And he's like, what the fuck is this? And so he puts in a couple of them to watch them. And it turns out they're all like real. But also it's someone recording him watching the movies, which is so Which I like that. That's a a cool and innovative way to approach it. Like that's a good way of moving forward. And also a good way, like, they've done multiple VHS movies because you can keep an anthology going. They don't have to be connected. Yeah. And then you also have, like, Unfriended, which mm-hmm. is coming, the dark web. I didn't see the first one. I kind of want to see this yeah. one, though. But it's kind of the new way of a found footage in the sense it's, it's a video chat and someone's recording their computer screen and it's just recorded computer screens. Yeah, or, like, the, the uh, John Cho movie that's coming out where he's trying to look for his daughter. Um, I'm not familiar. Searching. Uh, yeah, so it's a, a movie about John Cho looking for his missing daughter but it's all shot like on a like a a screen like everything you see is on the screen which is like another way of introducing you know modern culture and that you know how how we connect to that sort of storyline now yeah i mean it's also kind of become a genre again in audio dramas yes so for example um one of my favorite podcasts the black tapes does it where i was listening the first couple episodes i had no idea if it was real or not i actually went into it thinking it was real because i just finished serial and i heard recommendation for it on the no sleep podcast and i was like oh i'll check this out and i listened like oh this is real and this is absolutely terrifying yeah and even by the time i got to like the third or fourth episode when they talk about the unsound I didn't want to listen to it because I was like, "Is I still have not figured out if this is real or if this is fake." And like, they don't list anybody's names. You can't Google those people. They don't tell you who the cast no, you is. You can't find anything about Alex Regan, or no. you can't find who the voice actress is. I did a lot of searching and eventually finally found her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it wasn't until they started including voice actors from popular audio dramas. I know like David Cummings was on it, and I was like, "Yeah, okay, I know that guy." I was like, "Okay, I recognize that voice. I know a hundred percent this is fake now." But before that happened, right? I was really not a hundred percent sure, and that made it so much scarier. I think it's interesting that you mention getting to that from No Sleep podcast because No Sleep, as a Reddit thread, like or a subreddit, like, yes, everyone is generally aware that they are made up, but you're not allowed to acknowledge that in the comments. And uh, And a lot of people who are new don't know it. I think it was a lot better, like, three or four years ago, because things would happen where they weren't written all as stories, which almost all of them are written as now. Yeah. Sometimes they would have, like, Facebook screenshots and say... Dude, there is one that I don't... I'm sure that it's the same one, the one where his girlfriend is communicating to him through her. Yeah, exactly. So it's about this guy whose girlfriend, I'm getting chills talking about it because it scared the shit out of me. I was reading it um, when I was working as a writer's PA on set very late nights sometimes, and I would have to walk around these big empty places by myself, so I got very freaked out. But it's about this guy whose girlfriend who has passed away in a car accident, he thinks she's trying to contact him through the internet, basically. And like... At first, he's like, I think someone's fucking with me. Like, what's going on? Why do I keep getting these messages? I can't figure out, like, we've locked her Facebook account, so I don't know who could get into it now. And there are screenshots of her messaging just, like, random words. Yeah, and then, like, people in the comments are, like, putting the threads together. Like, everyone's playing along. So people in the comments are like, well, I found this thing, or I found that thing that seems like it might be connected to this thing. And, like, it's multiple posts. And, like, at one point, he's getting photos of himself in his home through her Facebook account, I think. Yeah. Like... 
it's so like there are still ways to tell this kind of story. It's just that the genre, the the method has to change. Just like an epistolary novel isn't scary anymore. It can be. It can be. But it, people don't assume just because they said that someone wrote them a letter, which I, I don't want to make it sound like I think that everyone in like the 1800s was a super gullible idiot because I'm sure <laughs> people were like, I understand that Frankenstein is not real. But like there's just as we get more advanced in terms of our technology and our connections to each other, it's so fascinating to see I mean, how they transform. Even the Hooked app. Have you seen the Hooked app? No. So there's this app and I think it's called Hooked, H-O-O-K-E-D. And it's advertised all the time. It's advertised all the time on like Instagram and I gave in and downloaded it. <laughs> and it tells stories through text messages. So you're watching two people text Ooh. each other and you have to like tap in order to get the next one to go. And so they're like, a daughter and a dad texting be like hey are you home you need to get out of the house right now and they're like what's going on that's usually when it's like advertise like download the app to find out what's going on so it's going through it it's a lot of fun you just have to pay for the stories Uh, or like pay a subscription fee or just like wait 20 minutes i never go back to finish the stories because i want to read them all in one sitting but it's still the kind of thing where you're you're watching two people text and even though you know it's not real because you've seen these conversations it feels more real yeah and i think that that's what people want people want it to feel as real as possible and i think that that's why so many people bought into the blair witch i think that's why people were like yeah it's a real thing i'm gonna go see it because it's real and i'm scared of it like yeah people didn't question i mean like they even talk about in the um the conversation the q a at the library of congress um Julia uh, Myrick talks about how, like, if you get the smallest amount of confirmation, you're like, cool, it's real, I can believe in it. Like, you don't need to, you don't want to investigate fully. You don't want to be the person who kills the A lot of the fake news stuff spreads is what she was talking about. Like, they did a lot more in-depth work to create this universe than a lot of, like, hoax news articles do. Yeah. Like, they'll just say something, you read it, and you're like, okay, cool, that's real. But if it, like, somewhat lines up with what you want to believe... Then, then you go for it. Yeah. And if that's that you want to believe that Hillary Clinton is a secret assassin, then you go for it. And if it's that you want to believe that there are three people lost in the woods in Maryland, then you do that too. Um, it's just human nature, and it really works beautifully in this. It's right. such a it's such a fascinating look at human psychology and how we just love believing in things. Like we want to believe. What's it like? I want I to believe. believe. <laughs> it's the X Files. The X Files were always right. Yes. Everyone is a Mulder at heart. So going off the whole idea of getting actors to respond without really having a script, I mean, that really reminds me of Grave Encounters, which is a found footage movie about a ghost-busting TV show that spends the night in, like, a haunted asylum. And very, like, stereotypical whatever. The first 20 minutes I thought were completely garbage, but <laughs> it, it seemed like it was, like, a funny, bad movie, and then it got turned out to be real scary. Ooh. But I remember there's this one scene where all the actors are running up these stairs, and I read online that they didn't tell what the act... They didn't tell the actors what was going to be at the top of the stairs. They were mm-hmm. like, you just have to react when you find it. And they were running up the stairs and came to just a plain wall. Like, the stairs just went into a wall, and they're freaking the fuck out, and that's, like, their actual reaction is oh god like we thought we'd found a way out of this place yeah and it's just a blocked off staircase like this was supposed to be our saving grace and it's nothing and so i think the idea of having actors react like they actually would is it a goes really, a long it way it does and just makes it feel so much more authentic yeah and i think that there's there's something to be said for like actors being able to pull that out of themselves and I think in a traditional movie that works when you have time to work on it and you want a polished performance but there is just something so amazing about how 
truly raw this movie feels and how truly raw like any good found footage movie gets you into that place where you're like fuck what like yeah and I think that there is something still to be said about how scary traditional movies are like the new it movie that came out last year oh yeah like when freaking Pennywise is coming out of that projector shit like I was terrified yeah I mean I definitely don't think this is the only kind of scary movie but I think that it 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 leans into realism in such a way that's like the scariest thing is to make you believe that it's real. And it's a nice break from a lot of the produced movies. Yeah. I think that the reason why it's not super popular now is just because the market was oversaturated with this movie. And now you have, like, The Visit, which is, like, it's a fine movie, but it didn't need to be a found footage movie. That's It definitely didn't need to be. I mean, it didn't add anything by it being a found footage. I will say it added the little brother stealing the camera to do the fun raps every now and then. Yes. And that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And who wasn't? Like, I mean, I'm sure when you were a kid, you were like, because you majored in film production. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I will say when I was watching this, I had like a secondhand cringe just remembering myself when I was doing like little projects when I was in high school or whatever, or even in college when I was, like, doing my own shit where I was like, we're gonna go do a fun thing. Like, we used to explore the woods around New Hampshire, and, like, we found, like, me and a couple of my friends found, like, this empty trailer that obviously nobody had been living there for several years except for maybe people squatting or something like that, and it was, like, we took all the video, and we are like, creeping around and, like, looking at And just the whole, like, well, how are we gonna get all this equipment across? And, like, I have to make sure that I capture this and that everyone sees it. Like, that's such, like, a... I related very hard <laughs> to her because I was such a pain in the ass. But I think what's gonna happen now is, like, there's no real reason to have that equipment anymore with yeah. technology because you can just use an iPhone. Right. And if it's empty, you're not going to probably shoot 50 gigs of footage. No. Or however many gigs your phone is. And also, if it is on the full side, if you have service, you can just use the cloud and things automatically upload. Right. And if you're staying at grandma's house and there's Wi-Fi... You're going to use that. Yeah. You're going to use your... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, like, times have changed. And times have changed very quickly. I don't think anyone would have anticipated that there was like a a year and a half time period in which you could make the Blair Witch Project and then it can't really be made in the same way ever again. I, if you haven't seen this movie, fuck. We just ruined everything for you and you should have seen it. still see it. Still see it. See it at night, um, alone with your lights out. Yeah. In the middle of a cabin in the woods. And then afterwards, enjoy an entire bottle of Bordeaux for Heather, who never got to. Yes, a whole fucking bottle of Bordeaux and a fresh pack of smokes. Don't do the smokes. They're bad for you. Bordeaux's also bad for you. Yeah, but not as bad as smokes. That's true. So, um, yeah, so that's it for this one. This was a lot of fun for me, and I think a lot of fun for Maddie. Oh my god, I love this movie so much. It's so good. Um, What are we doing next week, Madeline? We're gonna do the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm really excited about this one. I have a personal affinity for this one, not because I've seen it, because I haven't, (laughs) but because last year I went to Halloween Horror Nights and did one of those, like, horror movie classic monster guys. Um horror movie icons. Not the horror movie classic (laughs) monster guys? That's not what they called it? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Couldn't think of the word icon for a second. So it was like a horror movie icons maze. And so it had Chucky, it had the guy from Texas Chainsaw, Leatherface, Mm -hmm. um, and it had maybe Michael Myers. I don't really remember, um, but it was like three or four different ones. I just remember the tiny, like, Chucky's chasing us around. Nice. And it started off with a Leatherface, and he came in our face, and he was holding the the chainsaw, and he growled. He's like, His Texas Chainsaw? His Texas Chainsaw. And I was scared, and... I get really silly when I get scared and I laugh a lot and I growled back at him. 
<laughs> so he was like, Err, and I was like, Err, and he followed me through the rest of the maze, and I was like, oh my god, kind of freaked out. Oh my god. And that was when Paul and I were still kind of early in dating, and then he bought me a little plushy leather face at Kamikaze. That's adorable. Um, great, so we're very excited to talk about that. Gotta do some research and, uh, and get you all the juicy deets. And uh, in the meantime, you guys be good, have fun, stay scared. And enjoy the official beginning of Halloween season. Yeah, put your I leaves out. I know we out. will. Oh, I'm ready already. Put your leaves out? Just get leaves. Are leaves a Halloween Put decoration? them around your house. It's fall, but it's not leaves. <laughs> get your pumpkins out. There we go. Get those pumpkins on out. Get your skeletons going. Keep your skeleton in. <laughs> put, the, <laughs> put the pumpkins Unless out. Unless you have a purple sparkly skeleton like I do. In your body. Yes. <laughs> I take it out each year just for decoration. Manny, no! (laughs) Have a lovely couple weeks. We will talk to you soon. All right, be good. We love you guys. Mwah!